Good afternoon. I'm Susan Parker with ELR Legal Search. This is ELR Presents, our podcast series focused on not just successful lateral acquisition, but successful lateral integration and the strategies and the components that help make that a reality. One of the things I'm really excited about in this podcast is I get to talk to amazing people, law firm leaders and innovative leaders like today's guest. I'm really excited to talk to today's guest, Michael Bloom. He's the CEO and founder of Practio. As all of us know, communication, verbal, and of course, written is super important for law firm candidates and associates and partners. Michael has a great background that gives him, I think, a unique perspective on that journey to become a much better writer. He really, I think, is going to help us with a couple different important takeaways. One, he's going to help us think about the common pitfalls that lawyers uh, experience and that firms experience as they deal with, with young lawyers. We're also going to talk about, I'm kind of going to intersperse kind of the experience we as recruiters have when we experience people that seem like great candidates, but maybe their writing samples that they send us aren't that great. And then Michael's just going to go talk about the innovation for advanced skills that his company Practio uh, provides. So without further ado, I'd just like to give a little introduction to Michael. Super happy that he's here. I met him at the Professional Development Consortium Conference a few years back. Think the world of him. He's both, as I said, the founder and CEO of Practio. Practio is this modern training online with practical, interactive, self-paced online training. And it's a way for reviewing and drafting contracts and other legal documents. There's a lot of large firms using Practio. And it's a way that they train their lawyers and their staff to really be effective. And he comes from a place where he knows what he's talking about. He was a practicing lawyer. He was also a clinical professor at Michigan Law and Chicago Law. And he practiced, as I said, at Sidley Austin. Michael, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about this really important topic, writing effectively. Yeah, Susan, I'm thrilled to be here. Always a pleasure to chat and, and, and really excited to be chatting with you today about, about this. Awesome. So tell me a little bit more, you know, you were once a young lawyer. Tell me a little bit more about your journey and the, some of the challenges you faced as you transitioned from law school to the firm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, you know, I always quip, everyone takes first year contracts and you're lucky if you get to see a contract in that class, right? So when I was in law school, I was looking forward to taking that class to learn, you know, why these provisions were in the contract, what they meant, what they did, how they helped the parties to accomplish their goals. And then we spent, you know, months talking about offer and acceptance and consideration and, and none of that. When I got to the firm, I realized that I needed to understand these questions better that I had as a as a one L that the first year contracts did not adequately prepare me to do, do the work I was expected to do at a, at a firm like Sidley or, or, or any firm. Um, and, and so that kind of, that, that yearning, that thirst to answer those questions that went unanswered is kind of what's driven my, my whole career since. Um, I oddly, a creature of the recession, had an opportunity to start teaching right away at, at Chicago Law School. So I uh, took a year off. I deferred from working at Sidley to start teaching at Chicago. And during that period, I buddied up with somebody who had in droves what I had none of, which is practical experience. 
So I worked with somebody who was general counsel of a major company for 20 plus years. And he was teaching these transactional courses already at, at Chicago. And we put our heads together and came up with a, an idea for a book, uh, contracts practically answering those questions that, that I wanted to have answered when I uh, took contracts in law school. And we put our heads together and came up with this idea for a practical clinic that at least in part worked with the kinds of clients graduates from school, from schools like Michigan and Chicago go on to work for at firms like Sidley. And it was this wild ride, ideas for contracts curriculum. We wrote a book. We started teaching this at Chicago. We started this new clinic. And then actually when I got to the firm, eventually, to my surprise, I sort of knew what I was doing and my peers would ask me questions and folks were surprised that I understood the ins and outs of of contracts because it unfortunately wasn't expected of entry-level attorneys to know the first thing. I love that. So you found out that you kind of, you you found a solution that you didn't even know maybe was completely necessary until you met people who didn't have access to that solution. That's right. And it was just in part born of my own curiosity. I, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to understand these concepts better, thinking that practically they would be relevant and that it turned out that they that they were once I got into practice and saw that the way I, I had spent that deferral year putting together a practical contracts curriculum actually helped to prepare me to be an effective junior associate at, at a big firm. Yeah, that makes so much sense. You know, we meet with a lot of different associates who maybe some of the reason they do want to leave their current firm is is sort of a the story around communication and either the lack of good verbal communication or they haven't really been able to learn what they needed to in terms of writing and so they they they're not maybe getting the feedback that they wish they had and so for us as recruiters this is a great thing for us to be able to chat with you and kind of hear what you think some of the solutions I guess your company has come up with to kind of help folks. I'm also curious, do you work with firms or individuals or both? Mostly firms. Occasionally we'll have individuals come on our site. Any, any of our courses can be purchased one off for just an individual. And that does happen here and there, but the lion's share of uh, our revenue and, and, and what drives the business is, you know, subscriptions with large organizations, uh, both large firms and then also increasingly large companies that want to train up whether it's the law department or other folks at the company that work with contracts on, on how to you know, do that work better. Got you. So talk to me about the reason that skill for writing is so important to be a, an effective transactional attorney. Yeah. And, and so picking up also on something you mentioned earlier too, Susan. So this idea of communication more broadly, reflecting on my time as a clinical instructor, especially at Michigan, not only did they come and learn those technical skills, how to draft a contract better, et cetera, but they also learned just how to communicate more effectively in any professional setting. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, they spend weeks and weeks doing research or putting together this new document or whatever it is. And there's this fallacy in law school that, you know, length is a good proxy for quality or a reflection of hard work. And students pick up on that right away. They're rewarded for it. So, you know, your exams, oh, I wrote 20 pages in an hour. I did amazing, right? So when they're putting together an email for a a client to help them make a decision or to understand an issue better, as law students, and I suspect also as junior associates, they tend to write long, verbose, complicated emails or, or whatever documents to reflect all that hard work and careful thinking, et cetera. 
as opposed to the, you know, Mark Twain, sorry for the long letter, I didn't have time to edit. Realizing that these are busy people that want that briefing the president, quick amount of information so they can know what they need to know to make their decision and, and move on. And that's more useful work product. So it's this flip from thinking about, oh, let me present to you my brilliance and my hard work, this presentation, this representation of how great I am, to let me give you something useful for your purposes. You know, This is what you want to do. Here's the tool to help you do it. And that's what success looks like, right? So it's this real change from how we teach folks to think and act in, all, in an academic setting, unfortunately, to what it means to be useful in a professional setting. And that's probably, I think, one of the biggest lessons that students in my clinic would learn and that they didn't expect to learn if they compared, you know, where they were at the end of the semester as to what they expected and where they were at the beginning. It sounds like you're saying there's that shift from thinking about showing what I can do or what I know to what's important to my reader, right? hundred percent. Yeah. We see this all the time in, in the communications we get and emails from candidates, for example. And it's like, what value are you providing or what is it that you have that should get us excited versus just long lists of points, right? And, yep. and not necessarily having the ability to, to kind of put together that cohesive sort of story that makes me understand really the images and the story of their career. That's right. And, th- and this is a common thread then to pull some of these things together whether we're talking about writing an email or writing a contract, it's understanding your audience or maybe there's multiple audience members, different roles. So when you're drafting a contract, you're thinking about, especially as a junior associate, you're thinking about the senior folks on your side, your client, the lawyers on the other side, the client on the other side, right? So that's just through the negotiation process. And then you're also thinking about, all right, if this thing gets signed, the over, in good times and bad times, what are the other folks going to argue this might mean? And how might that put my client in a, in a bad or good situation? And then if it does get to it, which a very small percentage of contracts do, but if it does get to a dispute that ultimately gets litigated, how might a judge read this or if it gets to a jury? So thinking with every sentence you write, it's this big puzzle of let me imagine 10 different audience members at once and how they might read or want to read this language. But ultimately, it all comes back to empathy, right? It's understanding these different readers, these different members of the audience and what it is we want them to do with our words. What is it that we want them to argue or not be able to argue? Or what is it we want to enable them to decide or take action on if we're thinking about those useful emails to help folks take some action? Great, that sounds great. You know, I I also love your company's, I guess it's your mission statement, uh, on a mission to create space for learning through mistakes, right? So your software then allows people to kind of learn make some mistakes and not worry about it. And what I've found dealing with lawyers all these years is you all hate to show that you've made a mistake, <laughs> right? But this allows you to learn that way and really move forward and, and you know, enhance your skill set. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to that idea of the more junior lawyer thinking about, or, or law student for that matter, their work as a reflection of, of how great or not they are versus you know opportunities to grow and, and also opportunities to provide useful work product for their end user. And so it's, it's part and parcel of that mentality, this sort of fixed mindset versus growth mindset. You know, oh, I am how good I am. I, you know, I'm a math person or I'm not, or this is, some, this is a skill I have or I don't. And if, you, if that's the mindset, then everything I do is either you know, revealing that I'm a pretender, an imposter, showing this weakness that I have that is, you know, it will you know, be a scarlet A that I'm wearing forever, 
or it's just an opportunity to get better. It's a gym where I'm going to strengthen my muscles and, and find my weaknesses and, and improve upon them. And that's law school and the legal profession absolutely reinforces that fixed mindset. Yeah, the fixed mindset, the need for perfection, which kind of keeps you from you know reaching your getting better. maximum potential. Yes. Yeah, and getting better. So how does your software work? And I know you do workshops too, correct? So you set like their modules and, and then also in-person workshops. Talk to me about kind of- Yeah, definitely. So two big buckets in terms of what we provide currently, as you've alluded to. One are workshops, whether virtually or in-person, but so synchronous learning, live learning, depends what the client wants, but usually those are going to be hands-on interactive workshops, giving folks a chance to work in small teams, give each other feedback, get feedback from me. Oftentimes we're able to pull in senior folks at the, at the client to sit in and provide specific feedback if we're doing, say, a negotiation session. Those are great. And then our self-paced e-learning is the learner working directly with the software program, depending on what the course is, where they get to not just watch a video and take a quiz, but do exercises that feel like the work. And if you get something wrong, awesome. Read the feedback more closely, take the lesson from it and apply it to the next lesson. So I, I use that gym analogy a lot, or you can know, think of it as a sandbox. It's a place to practice doing the activities and the skills that are as close to doing the real work as possible, except unlike in real life, you're getting feedback at every step of the way. Every single exercise, we're explaining why every choice is either the best choice or not so that you can take that that lesson away. And so again, if you think about, I think often when we think about e-learning, even good e-learning, we're imagining you know some video that you watch and then some quiz that you take to verify that you watch the video that you watch. And we try to flip that and instead have you work through activities that somebody might call an assessment, but it's not to test you. We're not trying to see if you get it or not. We're just giving you a space to practice. And, and again, as you, as you mentioned, our mission to learn through your mistakes. And as we've discussed, there's not often a ton of room for that in, um, in law firms or, or maybe any professional organization. And so at a minimum, you know, I would love to change those cultures, but in a minimum, we can create this sort of this space, this area where no one's grading you. No one's looking over your shoulder. We don't share any score data with anybody. So the firm can't, you know, can't grade you or, or judge you for it if they wanted to. Can't say, hey, how did so-and-so do on this? Yeah, they, we won't do it. If they ask, we won't, they, we, we won't give it to them. So they can rest assured. Well, because then you wouldn't have the environment where people could really learn because then they would be worried. Exactly. And that's something that I learned right away when we first did a, a pilot of this, where it was not something that I was, that was even on my radar. I wasn't thinking about that folks might interpret this as a secret test or a way to rank or sort them. And right away, that first focus group, that's what all of them were concerned about. They were all worried about that. They all were worried about it, which, you know, wow. that was a wake up call for me. That wasn't at all something we were intending. So uh, let's get in front of that assumption and be really explicit. But this is not a test. It's a learning opportunity. And to make that credible, we don't share that score data with, with anybody. So I'm thinking if I were a young lawyer, I would say, okay, here's what I know I'm, my strengths are. Maybe some of my weaknesses are here. How do I enhance those? How do I get better at the things I know maybe aren't my, you know, the top of what I can deliver right now? But not everybody's like that because maybe sometimes they don't have the awareness or maybe they're afraid. I don't know. But what advice do you have for young lawyers? And then I'm going to ask you the same thing about sort of mid-career attorneys. 
in terms of how to get past the fear of imperfection? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does require a mindset shift, but ultimately, if your goal is to get better, then you have to be open to making mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, you're, you're, you're not trying hard enough, right? You're staying too firmly in the center of your comfort zone, right? So it does require realizing that that unwillingness to encounter situations that might allow for them to make mistakes is stifling. So if it, it just it depends on what their goals are. If they want to get better, they're going to need to venture out into space where they're less comfortable, where they're, you know, they are learning new things. And, you know, you can reflect back on whenever you you started off on doing anything new, whether it was learning to ride a bicycle or, or that first year of law school or any number of experiences that they've had where, where they've had to learn something new. There's always those growing pains, those learning pains that are part of the process. And there's no, there's no shortcut around it, except to say there are less and more painful ways to do it there are riskier and less risky ways to do it. So part of how we try to bridge that gap is giving those simulated experiences where there's no client, there's no one grading you. And yes, you are going to make mistakes. Otherwise this was probably pointless for you, but the only consequences you get to learn there's there's, so we kind of remove that downside risk. To me, that's the beauty of it. Exactly. Yeah. You're getting um, almost like a different kind of virtual reality of what they'll face. They get to kind of measure how they're doing and then reassess and, and rework things. That's right. I love it. What do you think about law firm leaders and what they can do helping promote maybe more of a growth mindset or really engaging with you? Tell us how folks can get in touch with you. Yes. I think the way this culture shifts is for law firm leadership and more senior folks to model this sort of behavior, right? So acknowledging, and I'm sure there are folks who do this without a doubt, the more a junior person sees a senior person owning a mistake, reflecting on a lesson, applying it to the next one, the more room and permission there is for them to do the same. There's literature on how to encourage growth mindset, not just praising results, but praising process. You know, I know that wasn't something in your comfort zone. Thanks for stepping in and, and jumping on something new for you. And I really like the way you, you know, made that mistake the first time, but didn't make it the second or whatever it is. And obviously not everyone talks the way I do about it, but in their own voice, that kind of praise for the process, praise for reflection and learning and then doing it themselves and modeling it. So it sets that expectation. This is fair game and it's an ongoing process. It never ends. That's a huge way. I think that leaders can help shift the culture themselves, adopt a growth mindset and inspire it in, in others for sure. And I think we as recruiters kind of share some responsibility in that. And as we prepare candidates for interviews, we're really honest with when they need to correct something or restate something in writing or how they present themselves. And some people take it better than others, honestly. But we at ELR is really committed to trying to just make sure that we're not just presenting great candidates, but we're also presenting great candidates to help set them up for success. And part of that is having honest conversations Part of that is helping them understand what maybe a gap might be and all those kinds of things without making people feel poorly about it because we all continually need to learn. Exactly. Not a big deal. Exactly. And that's where that the normalizing from the people in power can, can go a long way. Because, yeah. right, this is a, it ought to be at least a lifelong journey. None of us are achieving perfection where we get to just stop and coast, if, especially if you want to stay sharp and continue to improve. Yeah. But there is that sort of, oh, you got to fake it till you make it. And when you start off feeling like you don't know anything, 
then you feel like, all right, well, I just need to really pretend and I can't let anyone in on my secret that I don't know how to do this. And so that from the beginning, if that's the orientation, then it's very hard to be a bit vulnerable and be open or it feels like being vulnerable then to being open to learning and admitting a mistake, whether it's to yourself or to others so that you can learn through it. Yeah, so, so true. Well, this has been great stuff, Michael. I really appreciate your time. Where can people reach you? I know your your website's practio.com. That's Practio with a K. That's right. That's the best way. So P-R-A-K-T-I-O.com. Folks can contact me directly. Bloom, B-L-O-O-M-I-C-H at Practio.com or just go to the website. There's like 30 different ways you can contact us through it. You can chat, chat us up or send a message. Always happy to chat about how to foster learning cultures, build curriculums, how to slot our resources into firms curriculum. And then also, you know, we're always building new courses and that's driven by what our clients tell us they need, where those gaps are, what common themes during feedback cycles, et cetera. That is absolutely what drives our pipeline of new course topics. And then we go right to excellent mid-levels or senior attorneys and we, we interrogate them on what are all the things you wish someone would have taught you on this topic? What are all the things that the juniors you're working with, you wish they would automatically, magically know right away? Uh, all the things you wish they would stop doing, all the points of frustration. And those types of, the answers to those types of questions is what fills the content and focus of, of those courses to keep them practical and useful for what folks need on the ground. Please don't be shy. If you're seeing a need, a gap that, that we might help fill, we'd love to, to learn that as well. Fantastic. Thanks so much. As always, Michael, great to see you. Great chatting with you. You too, Susan. Take care. Bye-bye.